0: Good vibrations. Take
1: one. You're listening to Good Vibrations, a Beach Boys music program sponsored by
2: Endless Summer Quarterly.
3: Hey, welcome to episode 39. I'm David Beard. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed this particular episode. I'll be speaking with my good buddy, Alan Boyd, and I'll just tell you a little bit of a background about Alan. He's a documentary filmmaker and archivist, and he's directed and edited several films for the Beach Boys, including Nashville Sounds, which goes back to 1996, Brian Wilson 1999, which was a short film that opened Brian's first solo tour, and the Grammy-nominated Endless Harmony documentary from 1998. With Mark Lynette, Allen has also produced Archival city releases for the Beach Boys and Capitol Records and won a Grammy for his work on the 2011 release, The Smile Sessions, along with Mark, Dennis Wolfe, and, uh, you know, <laughs> and Brian, of course. You know, I'm a big fan. It's just really strange for me. I want to back up here for just a minute. The 1997 Pet Sound Sessions box set release was a really big deal to me, because it was the first time we were getting, kind of, be able to kind of go, you know, get into the different layers of Brian's incredible arrangements and compositions. Really important. I'm a huge Smile fan, for those who don't know. Cabin Essence is my favorite Beach Boys recording, and... So, when Smile came out in 2011, the Smile Sessions, I was very excited, especially due to the packaging. The really great box set that came in was incredible. came with a couple picture sleeves and 45s. It was amazing. But, this new release that's coming out, which is called The Beach Boys Feel Flows, The Sunflower and Surf's Up Sessions, 1969 to 1971, is perhaps, for me, the next incredible release right after 1997's Pet Sounds box set and the reason it's so important is because it's the group it's the Beach Boys Uh, with Pet Sounds or really anything became that came before Pet Sounds dating back to 62 all the way up to 66 when Pet Sounds was released in May of that year it was really Brian would come up with the compositional ideas the vocal arrangements and then he would kind of Uh, for lack of a better word, dictate to the Beach Boys who would be singing lead on each song. And more oftentimes than not, in the early days, that was Mike. And by 65, Carl sang his first lead vocal on Girl Don't Tell Me. Al sang his first lead vocal on the Beach Boys Christmas album from 64 on Christmas Day. So... It was, so by 65, 66, everybody had kind of gotten a turn at singing a lead vocal, except Bruce Johnson, because he joined in April of 65. So he had, he had not yet sung a lead vocal. But this was a, a period of development for the group, and so Pet Sounds became this incredible, and remains so to this day, an incredible uh, standalone piece of artwork, and and i kind of look at the entire beach boys catalog early beach boys catalog is that kind of this explorative fine-tuning who we are type of thing so the smile sessions happened in 2011 that was incredible but if you know your beach boys history you also know that by 69 70 the the group had developed as musicians the entire group bruce johnston came from a classical background so he was already an unquote musician but the other guys, Dennis Wilson, Carl Wilson, Al Jardine, uh, Bruce, uh, Den- and and, they, and Mike, they had come forward. They were writing things. They were coming up with ideas. They were very experimental as a group, as a group. And that's why Feel Flows is so vital and so important. So today, I, d- I just thought we should get started with the title track of the box set. It's it's a great Carl Wilson Jack Riley composition. Uh, the two wrote it together, and uh, it's featured in Almost Famous, the Cameron Crow movie. It's uh, a fantastic tune, and uh, once you have a listen here, I think you'll understand why the whole box was named after it. It's quite something. Enjoy. Brian Wilson and you're listening to Good Vibrations with David Beer. Thanks, Brian. What a great song. Isn't that an amazing song? Well, we're going to get into my conversation with Alan Boyd. Now we're going to discuss the box set. Anyway, I'm going to be able to play a couple of samples of a couple of tunes. Now, the whole five disc box set, first of all, if, you if you're not aware of it, please go to Amazon, wherever you are. It's just the easiest way to kind of find out about this if for some odd reason you've missed the news. It's a five-disc box set. There's also a two-disc version box, little smaller box, just two discs. Lots of bonus tracks. Um, There's a 4LP black vinyl. There's a 4LP collectible translucent vinyl, blue and uh, yellow vinyl. And then there's also a 2LP black vinyl. So these are different variations. If you can't quite afford the whole thing, the five-disc box, which I first and foremost highly recommend. If you can't, understand but it's it's out there it's going to be on all the streaming platforms and just keep in mind something when when you talk about streaming platforms the music on a streaming platform we'll just use spotify as an example is compressed okay they compress the music it's just something they do it's it's a part of the process to get the music out on a streaming platform so you do lose a little bit of something okay so i highly recommend cds and vinyl just first and foremost if you got a turntable with a sound system vinyl vinyl oh. vinyl but um, i'm gonna course get it all <laughs> that's just how i am i'm uh i'm such a you know i'm not much of a collector like i used to be but i still you know this this set as i said before is incredible but let's get underway with my conversation with ellen boyd i hope you today enjoy today's episode and again i will be playing some samples of a couple of songs one sweet and bitter And the second, from the unreleased Dennis Wilson album that was worked on and then abandoned, was called Poops or Hubba Hubba. That was just kind of thrown out there by Dennis. We don't know if that's really accurate, but that's kind of what it was called. But the second song will be Behold the Night. So we'll get to hear samples of Sweet and Bitter and Behold the Night. Now here's my conversation with Alan Boyd. When did this project actually begin?
1: When did it actually begin? Oh, um, well, you know, we had the idea for it. We've been wanting to do it ever since we finished the, um, you know, the two 1968 compilations for Capital. And so we, our first conversations with, with the label go back to, uh, oh, heck, January of 2019. Um, we did not get a green light right away. That took a few months, but we've been working on it pretty steadily from, I guess, about mid-2019 onwards.
3: Okay. And since you guys had, had the idea, you being you and Mark, right? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. So you two had this idea to do this. Yeah. What had What did you listen to, because you already had access to all this stuff, what did you listen to that just stood out to you, that just... Made it to you, to, in your opinion and in Mark's opinion, an invaluable resource that had to get out there. Well, I mean, obviously, we both knew those albums
1: and those two albums, plus all of the material they recorded in 1969, it was an incredibly rich period for the guys, uh, not just in terms of the number of songs, but the you know, the imagination and the you know, went into the arrangements and uh, the way they put the vocals together. And, you know, it was a definite peak for everyone on a songwriting level. So really there wasn't that much, there was no reason not to do it. It was just considering the type of projects we've been doing earlier, you know, from Pet Sound Sessions to Smile Sessions to Sunshine Tomorrow to the two 1968 compilations. It was just the natural next step. Mm-hmm. That plus of course, the you know the oncoming 50-year copyright renewal uh, legislation that meant that previously unreleased songs would need to be released officially in order to gain um, copyright protections for the masters. No, it wasn't, it was just the natural next step. As far
0: as us wanting to make it a large project, you know, five CDs, well, there
1: was just so much material being worked on in those eras, in that era. We knew, we just knew, even before we came across some material that we hadn't heard before, we knew there would be more than enough material to uh, to fill it, and that it would all be really cool musically.
3: Mm-hmm. What was the the biggest challenge in terms of once you once you guys listened to everything, how to keep it to five discs? Well, I mean, well, let me ask you this: where was the once it was greenlit? Was was there a was there still a debate initially whether it'd be five discs, six discs, or anything like that, or was it kind of said, uh, "Yeah, it's... no,
1: five was pretty much the the limit," <laughs> okay. as far as we were told. Um, we lobbied for it to be that many discs because I think at first I'm not sure anyone really saw uh, three discs, four discs, and, and we're going no, five. We, we can we we can fill five discs with. Uh, you know, with really good, compelling material on here, and that, of course, includes these things that we've often done, where we kind of dissect the songs and you know present mixes that say don't have a lead vocal or backing track mixes or a cappella mixes, so that can people can can get a really good idea as to the the richness and the complexity of
0: the arrangements that go into a make the whole. So.
3: Hmm. And how did you construct the 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 album four live tracks then bonus disc? Where did where did that advent the invention of that kind of set that concept for disc one and disc two come from? As as opposed to maybe putting the live tracks on just to like do a disc that's all live tracks.
1: Well, we went back and forth with a number of different sequences uh, as as the thing progressed and some of the earlier sequences were very different in the way that we uh, laid things out. But later on, especially with uh, you know with some input uh, from the group, um, we decided to take an approach that was a little bit closer to what we did for the uh, main California box set, which is where the the rather more esoteric unfinished and um uh, sometimes experimental material would be grouped together in its own in its own collection, like the bonus disc and the bonus disc at the end. And the thought behind that was really just so that the earlier discs would be a little bit more uh <laughs> user friendly, perhaps for Ex- people who are
0: not
3: yeah.
1: obsessed fans.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit more accessible.
1: Um, a little bit more accessible. And people, all everyone really is, always seems to love the, uh, the live tracks. So we just figured, okay, well, let's do it this way. We'll, we'll put the, the live tracks that fit from that album like little mini sets going along with the presentation of the original album. And then the bonus tracks on those discs you know, those tend to be things that are pretty close to being finished or they were finished and they just simply weren't, you know, released at the time. Particularly, you know, Sunflower went through so many uh, reiterations and assemblies before it was finally released.
3: There was almost an album's worth of tunes left over from those sessions. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, by the the times... You know,
1: uh, there's, there's a couple more discs where we get deeper into the sessions. And that's when you start to hear more of the tracks and acapella tracks and backing tracks with partial vocals. And that's more, um, those discs, uh, which I guess are, are two and four. There's a Sunflower with live and, and bonus tracks. And then there's a Sunflower, a Sessions disc. Yeah surf's up with live and bonus tracks, and then a surf's up uh, session disc. And then the fifth disc, which is is where we go deep into the archives and hear things that in some cases are just maybe nothing more than a backing track or a demo. But Mm -hmm. for folks who are really deeply into studying all this music, they're going to find it absolutely fascinating. And it's interesting because Mm -hmm. in some cases for the very deep hardcore fans, that's the disc which they're going to find the most interesting.
3: Sure. Yeah.
1: In many cases because they probably heard everything else before. So but one of the things that we wanted to do with this package, and I think you'll you'll find this in the two CD uh, compilation version especially is we're really hoping that people who who like the Beach Boys or casual fans who might have Sounds of Summer and Pet Sounds uh, will be interested in exploring this different part of their legacy. Because as I'm sure you know about Sunflower, Sunflower wasn't heard by a lot of people. But I don't know anybody who heard it who
2: didn't end up falling in love with it uh-huh Oh well, yeah, you know yeah. I mean? yeah it's like everybody who
0: heard it loved
1: it. It's just very few people heard it
3: mhm
0: so.
3: yeah well it's it's yeah well you you know what a fan I am of Sunflower, and I know what a fan you are of sunflower um oh, yeah yeah, so I wanted to talk about some some tracks here specifically and 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 have you give me a little bit of uh backstory and and um uh, okay. One of the one of the songs I'm I'm just a huge fan of, um, that I think depending on how long people have been fans, I'm sure they've heard it before on previous box sets. I believe it came like the song "Help Is On The Way." Uh, right. That's <laughs> just a it's it's funny because I in doing in preparing the summer ESQ and talking about Surf's Up with the guys, both Al and Mike, talk it was so easy to have them talk about help is on the way without me even asking them, because all I did was talk about, uh, take a load off your feet and the fact, and the fact that went to help and got some sandals new and, and all of a sudden they both, you know, separately, they both start talking about that song. Help is on the way. And, and I just thought, isn't that a kick as much as we have this kind of artistic and very colorful, uh, Example palette of all the different members of the group. There's also a big. There's also a, a, a lot of these songs are very whimsical. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, they're cute. They're fun. You know, the um, and the first time I ever heard "Help Is on the Way," which oh, was probably in the context of an adult child group you know, back in the early '80s. Yeah, uh, I I just found myself chuckling at it. It was like okay. This is fun. This is silly. Um, uh, really catchy, too. So.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, my solution, and this, this never, I never had this thought before until listening to this set. But when I listened to my solution, it made me think of the Magical Mystery Tour. And there's the scene in the Magical Mystery Tour where they're all dressed up as wizards. And they're like, yeah. in, in, <laughs> oh, where are they? They're on the Doonesbury Road. And right. and it's almost like my solution is like an offshoot of that. Like this, I, I when I listen to it now, I, I hear that Magical Mystery Tour vibe. Um, I,
1: I don't know if bootleg copies, bootleg film copies were already circulating you know, three or four years after the, the film aired. I know I didn't encounter it until, you know, way late in the decade.
3: Yeah, I'm wondering, though, because Brian was a tant... Well, they knew Derek Taylor. I'm wondering if there wouldn't have been some sort of, you know... I didn't know. Maybe
1: there was a party where somebody showed a print of it. I mean, yeah, I never know.
3: Yeah, but, but I, that's what but I... The did. thing that
1: I hear in that song, uh, apart from you know, obviously kind of monster, universal monster movie plot points is it sounds almost like, like the kind of, at times with all the sound effects and everything, like um, sort of horror, horror genre radio shows. Yeah. Which were still really popular in the late 40s and early 50s. Mm. And I'm wondering if there were nights when, you know, the, the, the kids were all gathered around a radio late at night listening to spooky stories.
3: We know from the fairy tale music that there was definitely Brian definitely had a direct association with listening to the radio as a kid. Right. So that And te- all
1: the uh, and the sound effects and the you know just if you kids kind of listen to the sound design of um, uh, my solution it's it's really pretty impressive.
3: It is. It is.
1: It, it's like a fully produced little little radio drama.
3: There's so much of this music that is very visual. You know, yeah. you, you've got a horn beep, you've got feet shuffling.
1: Even down to the, uh, to the sound effects of the birds and everything like that within uh, The Life
3: of a Tree. You you, you kind of do have to tip your hat to Steve Desper. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, Steve Desper and Brian and Carl. Because I think Carl was really... Uh, was a lot, probably a lot more detail-oriented than Brian was at that point in terms of just making sure that all the pieces get in there. And I've always kind of figured that the mixes, for most of that, where Carl was essentially uh, the mix-down producer, you know, just as he was billed on the Love You album. And I know at one point, it was one of the times when we were about to, to do a master... And every time we're about to master, I will listen to everything, you know, turn out the lights, turn off the phone, put on really good headphones and listen to everything just to make sure there's no blips or, you know, something didn't get cut off or you've got just the right mix. And listening to those two albums again, just the the detail, the attention to detail on the mixes. And mm-hmm. all the little flourishes and the and the touches and the uh everything from both of those both of those albums still still blows me away.
3: I really feel like this thing's gonna open up a universe to people who are Beach Boy fans who have Sounds of Summer, maybe they have Made in California box set, maybe they have the Smile Sessions, maybe they have the Pet Sounds box. But if they don't have any of that stuff Maybe they just have sounds of summer that they're going to hear this, and they're going to be like, "Wow, the Beach Boys story." General public is they were this hit machine in the '60s, and then there was Kokomo. Right.
1: That's like the experience I've often had when I've uh, spoken at uh, colleges and universities because I've, you know, from time to time I've, I'd be asked to lecture or or give a presentation about the Beach Boys, and in those cases when. It wasn't a big lecture hall, but it was a more intimate classroom situation. I always start by getting everybody, uh, uh, move the desk around, everybody in a circle, and I go around the room. And let's say it's 25 kids. And I ask them all, what, what do the Beach Boys mean to you? And 98% of them, it was full house. And yeah, uh, surf in the USA, maybe a third of them, had gone to a Beach Boys show at the county fair that they got taken to by their aunt and uncle. But there was always uh, a couple of kids who knew um, who knew Pet Sounds. <laughs> there was always be one who's like, "Smile, do, you know. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but it was interesting because I would play. I, I remember in a couple of cases I would play something like
1: um, Surf and Safari. Okay. And then follow that with, I just wasn't made for these times, or Feel Flows, or one of those tracks. And just see eyes light up and jaws drop, and kids going, that's the same group? I go, yeah, absolutely. And I always knew there were, generally after after one of these things, I'd have a bunch of kids coming up and saying, hey, what do you recommend that I check out first? You know, and it's, it's interesting. I just think one of the things that we're all trying to do now, you know, this involves Brother Records and Iconic and I think even Universal is we kind of want to expand the, this is a buzzword. There's a buzzword coming. The brand identity. We really want people to know and understand that the the group's legacy in their catalog is much, much deeper and richer than they might have assumed. And this Field Flows era, it's again, I i can't tell you how many copies of Sunflower I've given to people over the course of the last 50, 50 years. I mean, because I bought that album the week it came out, you know, when I was eight. Uh, and everybody, Anybody I've ever given that record to was just, wow, what a cool record. I had no idea. This is the Beach Boys, you know, and everybody would have a different favorite song. Some, some people would be, it's about time. Some people would be all I want to do. Some people would be forever. Some people would be, uh, cool, cool water. But, you know, even the diversity of the Beach Boys catalog is, is on full display within that one album.
3: I wanted to talk so there's a couple of songs that I wanted to talk to you about and, and the one being that's kind of a there's a little bit of a section here where we're getting we get a few songs that were kind of outside projects. Right. And one of them is Sweet and Bitter. And this is written right. with Don Brian wrote that with worked on that with Don Goldberg.
1: Yeah, and I and I think it's got a really, really solid chorus to it that I mean the first time I heard it uh, it, it got stuck in my head for days um, but it was interesting because we have we have always had the the first session reel of Sweet and Bitter in the Archive and what we had there it was just it was really just a chord progression a couple of acoustic guitars couldn't really tell I I, I couldn't tell for sure what it was we weren't even sure if it was beach boys or the flame or something like that it was definitely 16 track recorded at brian's house somewhere in 70 71 um and again it was kind of a mystery there really wasn't anything on the tape other than i think there was a master take that had one overdub on it but there was no melody there was you know no nothing it was just a very simple basic track uh, guitar acoustic guitar oriented and then about 10 years ago um, Don Goldberg reached out to uh, reached out to me and Mark and he came down to the studio and he he, he played us a, a version of the song that had uh, Mike Love singing the lead and it had some great overdubs on it uh, Don Don and his kids are very talented musicians. Um, and I, I was immediately just sort of drawn to it. I said, my God, that's a great tune. That's a really nice tune. I wonder if the guys have heard it. Um, but nothing really came of that. That was at a period, you know, I think we were working, I think it was around the period of Smile or the, the main California box or something. And we spoke to Brother about it. I... I think may have even sent a copy of Vaughn's version with the overdubs to Mike. Um, didn't really get, get much of a response. And we also knew that Vaughn had written another song, Brian, it was called
0: Out in the Country. Sure. Which we knew because there was
1: a fragmentary version, but not quite finished, very slow, very interesting. That had apparently been recorded or worked on in Holland it was one of those tapes with the uh, <laughs> with the shipping label still on it. But we didn't know much about it. We didn't know where it came from. And it turns out that uh, the band had recorded a full track for it. It was much more sort of upbeat. Very early on in the uh, Carl and the Passion sessions in uh, like January or February of 1972. And Don kept the tapes. For one reason or another, however, we managed to do that. He held on to those reels all these years. Um, and he graciously brought them in. Uh, we copied them. And what was really amazing about the Sweet and bitter reel was that it also contained uh, a, a short session where Brian and Murray... We're working on the song Won't You Tell Me and it also had a song
0: that we'd never heard of before that turned out to be written by uh, David Sandler called It's Natural
3: that was unusual too
1: yeah and talk about an incredible chord progression Uh, I just I kind of melted the first time I heard that and I listened to the, the various twists and turns that uh but that song goes down. But um, yeah, we we worked out an arrangement with uh, with Don. Um, I even helped him set up, uh, you know, set up his publishing for it, so that he would be, you know, perfectly well taken care of. He graciously let us uh, make uh, uh, high res, you know, digital preservation copies of the reels. And so, in our mixdown for this project, we decided to stick entirely to elements that were recorded back in 1971 when Brian uh, produced that early version of it. So we didn't we didn't include any of the overdubs and things that Don had done many many years later. But it turned out to be a great little a great little track. I mean, the only thing that we did was. We put the bass through a fuzz amp on the choruses to give it a little bit of edge, which was something that Brian used to like to do back then. (laughs) And um, uh, doubled Mike's vocal
2: on the choruses. Sitting around thinking about it rips my soul. It drives me to the bitter end, you know. Glad that it's over and love didn't last. I'll think of the future, the heck with the past. And the words don't come from the heart of me. Girl, we can't go on. Make believe when we're still in love. Hi, this is Al Jardine of the Beach Boys, and you're listening to Good Vibrations with David Beard. There was one
1: wonderful day when uh, Don uh, brought uh, his two sons to the studio. And he and his kids, you know, and his daughter and his wife, um, they actually have a really good, solid Beach Boys tribute band based out of San Diego. And they're, they're one of the better, you know, better Beach Boys tribute bands that I've ever heard. And there was just this wonderful moment when they, you know, Mark was working with the, uh, uh, was putzing with the tape deck or something like that. And Don says, hey, come on now, get over here. Because uh, he knew I was a... I've always enjoyed singing these kind of harmony parts, and so Don and I and his two two boys uh, did a run through of uh, Supergirl, just just for right the heck of it. I think I took Carl's part, and boy, it sounded really good. Hmm, that's cool. Just this nice moment of just connecting with these guys on that, you know, Beach Boys Brian Wilson music.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. You
1: know, that's one of my happiest memories from you know working on any
2: of these
3: things. I think there's a lot of different. We could get into all sorts of different things to talk about, but one of the great surprises for me was on disc another you know disc five, all the different right. stuff on disc five. But you know, I'm, for a lot of Dennis fans, and I and it was for because I was working on uh, the Surfs Up ESQ, I had been reading about. The Poops Hubba Hubba album, right. and then lo and behold, here we have a good chunk of those tracks on disc five that Dennis yeah. wrote with Daryl Dragon. Oh, but no,
1: there's there, there are so many unfinished Dennis Wilson things. I mean, you go back to the uh, go back to the uh, '68 compilations we were doing. There's quite a few, quite a few on there too. You know. Um, know.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So. I, there just weren't enough hours in the day for him to do everything that he wanted to do
2: (laughs)
3: because he 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 had other things to do than be in the studio so (laughs) whatever it was
1: i think i think a, a big part of uh you know i i it's my understanding that at times it was a struggle to get him to focus on finishing the tunes for pacific ocean blue
3: yeah yeah
1: He's just would be firing on so many different cylinders and in so many directions at once. So,
3: mm-hmm. is are there other tunes that would have made out the whole album, and did you have to leave those off be, to make room for other songs?
1: You know, there are a couple of of uh, you know little bits and pieces. They're not even really songs, but
3: I think there's a couple of piano noodlings here and there. Okay, haven't come out. There's
0: a uh, one thing that we didn't
1: have room for. Um, but it doesn't really amount to all that much It's a very sloppy in studio jam uh where they kind of perform sea crews. oh you know um and that's kind of cute maybe that'll uh, maybe that will uh, find its way out sometime, but it's just uh it, it just we'll there wasn't room for this and it was so sort
3: of um. Kind of off the cuff. It was more like just you kind, of, know. kind, of like baby, baby.
1: Yeah, I was just sort of jamming in the studio for fun. You
3: know? <laughs> I <laughs> mean, baby, baby, baby was. Uh... <laughs> baby, baby is a hoot. I just, I, I, just found that
1: one hilarious. You
3: know. Yeah, it's it's funny. It Sounds, it it's funny.
1: sounds like, he, like Leon
0: Redbone.
3: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you know, you brought up the uh, the the Rick Hen and Murray Wilson. <laughs> song, Won't You Tell Me. Right. That's an interesting thing, because you have the session, and then it's followed by a more completed track, and getting to hear that... Yeah, which is a different mix off of a...
1: You know, uh, another mix of that song came out years ago on a Sunrays box. Okay. Um, but what we did this time was, on on the multi-track that we have, um, Brian and Carl laid laid down a lead track Um, and so we put the emphasis in the vocal mix on that Um, I think it was kind of buried in the mix that was on the Sunrise Box I'm not really sure who did that mix or or exactly where it came from the mix itself might have been vintage 1971 Mm -hmm.
3: but uh, no, this time we kind of put the emphasis more on, on Brian and Carl Okay. Yeah. Well, it's it sounds nice, and it's it's particularly interesting because of hearing the session right before it. But uh, the, that song is so sweet and so pretty. It is. It is.
1: Uh, I've always been drawn to that song. I mean, I first heard it twenty-some years ago. You know, because it was it was something that we were you know we were pulling takes for the Endless Harmony album. That was that was something that uh, I'd never heard before. But I remember listening to it then and just going okay, this is, you know, maybe a bit uh, sappy and, and old-fashioned, but my God, this is a pretty song. Mm-hmm. And then Rick Hen, of course, had, had some stories about how, how Dennis helped out on the production. You know, it's got these sort of shimmering piano parts, which came courtesy of the fact that uh, Dennis had this little trick, which is, well, if you record it, if you play it at seven and a half inches per second and record your piano part on that pass, when you play it at fifteen IPS normal speed, you know the tone and everything it gets this really shimmer, really nice uh, quality to it. Hmm. Uh, which is, you know, maybe something I think he had experimented with. Um, uh, Steven Desperat
3: Yeah. Some of his earlier. Yeah so tell me I'd like to kind of talk about behold because that that right. really that i mean it's it's right in there with everything else Dennis was writing at the time wouldn't it be nice to live again the u k- ecology part you know that music right all- all of it is very moving um but behold the night just is it just comes out of the speaker. I mean, it just, as much as everything else he did, but there's just something really, I cut, there's kind of like intricacies, intricacies that just, that just really got my attention. Just, just really pulled me in. And oh
1: yeah. And it's like, like a lot of Dennis songs, it's, I mean, it's not very long, but it's got definite movements in it. It's not structured like, a you know, like your basic contemporary pop song. It's, it's you know, got these rather distinct uh distinct parts. Which is one of the cool things about a lot of Dennis' stuff was he wasn't always into doing a conventional song structure.
4: Moon's out tonight, tonight I know you will.
1: Hi, this is Mike of the Beach Boys, and you're listening to Good Vibrations with your host, David There. You see that the two-disc is is much more sort of...
3: The two albums with some bonus tracks, mostly. Took,
1: yes, but being that these are CDs and we try to we we come very close to filling these CDs, there's a lot of bonus tracks. Yeah, yeah. Um, because each CD is is less than half of the the running time. Uh, I mean, the original albums, you know, each album is less than half the running time on the CD. So it, it's really probably down to the most accessible, um, close to being finished. Type material that you'll find on the two CDs and, and the two CD I think is one that I'm probably going to be giving away to a lot of people, uh, who aren't necessarily hardcore beach boy fans. Um, but these are people who I just think would really like, love good music. And I think the two CD is, might be the ones that would uh, hopefully get a lot of, uh, you know, will find its way into a lot of people's hands who wouldn't necessarily, you know, wouldn't necessarily be that interested in, say, you know, an unfinished basic track of something.
2: But all the really cool songs are on there. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And the fourth LP is, um, well, again, that, that's that's for people who love that particular format and we had to make it four LPs so that we had enough room for at least a really good selection of um good selection of some of the extra bonus tracks and material. But you know, it's probably closer in in feel to the uh two C D uh, compilation.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: That's you know, that's that was one of the things behind the uh, smile sessions was Yes, there was that big, uh, you know, that big five CD uh, box set, but there was also the little two CD box, which I think sold really well. And that was for people who maybe just didn't necessarily need to hear every single, you know, session bit of, uh, of heroes and villains, but just really wanted to, you know, to hear the album's. And then the best of the, the best of the unreleased and the session stuff, the, the highlights were on the uh, second disc. So. Cool.
3: Cool. And I just
0: hope,
1: I just hope that more people, cause I, I keep hearing, you know, that nobody's buying CDs anymore and younger people don't buy CDs, but, you know, I'm also hoping that the two CD package, cause it's, you know, it's got the book, it's got the minor notes, it's got some really cool stuff in it. Um,
3: might attract people who will even buy that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, I hope so too, because you know, for the for the people who aren't familiar with this music, the two CD collection would be the or the two LP, depending on who you are. But I see in terms of well, and and although I don't prefer compressed music, and I would prefer for anybody. Who would consider listening to this music? Not listen to it from a streaming platform. I I still think that even if they get it from a streaming platform, they're gonna get turned onto a whole new universe yeah. that I hope will in turn get them to them by the two CD set or what have you. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole thing is really we we. I mean, this is such an amazing period in the group's history and all of us who are longtime fans have always known this. Yes. But sometimes, you know, we have a hard time with, uh, <laughs> with our friends. <laughs> I'm still remembering because I, I wrote the, the, the minor notes that I wrote for this. It was all very true. Um, when Sunflower came out, the Beach Boys were, were so unhip that all my, brother's friends were like really giving me a hard time about it you you like the Beach Boys <laughs> you know on the one hand it was great because they all had no problem getting me their old Beach Boy records So I, I think by the time I was nine I had the whole I had the whole catalog because <laughs> um, I was very determined I was very obsessive about their music starting from at the age of five but uh, it was really it's very funny. And the following year, when Surfs Up started to get some attention and people started listening to that, and then some of these same people came back and went, "Dude, you know they, they are kind of cool." Yeah, I think well, one person asked for his Beach Boy records back, and they wouldn't give them to him. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so that'll serve you. That'll teach you, pal. <laughs> <laughs> that was the phrase "Indian giver." You know, uh came
1: to. Was very popular back then, um, but uh, yeah, I just I, I hope it uh, inspires people to uh, to check it out. I mean, if you look at the look at the time and you look at the way the album was marketed, you know, the Beach Boys were kind of in a weird universe because they they weren't hip or sort of grungy enough or whatever to to fit in the FM marketplace, the album-oriented rock that FM was starting to carve out, but they weren't bubblegum either, so they didn't really fit in the AM uh, universe. No. And as much as I love the album, I imagine that this sort of really pretty pastel shot of these dudes hanging out with their kids was probably not going to resonate visually with, you know, high school and college kids.
3: Right, right.
1: And so that may have, you know, that might have been an issue. Whereas that really sort of interesting and dark end of the trail uh, cover for uh, Surf's Up with the ironic title, The Beach Boys Surf's Up, and here's, you know, there's this rather dark and foreboding picture that had this really kind of cool irony on top of it that I think made a lot of people take notice. Well, that and there, I mean, there was a sort of a—it's like a different meaning for the phrase "surf's up." There seemed to be a sort of a
0: dark weariness in that album cover. Yes, yeah, it was much more sort of
1: grown up, and I think uh, I think that was it. It was a great choice for an album cover. Because I think for a lot of the kids who who are sort of like my brother's friends who loved the Beach Boys when they were 12 or 13, um, this kind of made it okay to like them again.
3: I'd like to thank Alan Boyd for his time regarding uh, talking about this great upcoming uh, The Beach Boys' Feel Flows, The Sunflower and Surf's Sessions 1969 to 1971, five-disc box set. Now, it's also available... It's a 4-LP translucent colored vinyl, two discs are blue, two discs are are gold uh, or yellow, and then there's a 4-LP vinyl black vinyl version, then there's a 2-LP black vinyl version, and a 2-CD version. If you can't, um, for whatever reason, uh, afford the physical 5-CD set, and if you listen to music online, by streaming services, maybe you'll be able to get pick and choose and kind of get dialed in as it is right now. My full five disc review is up on esquarterly.com, esquarterly.com. Es-qu you can read the five disc review, the complete five disc review. Took quite a while to write and dig in. Uh, there's just so much there to listen to, and it's so fantastic it's just another layer to the Beach Boys catalog and it's uh, and for those who aren't familiar with the Sunflower up album I think you're really gonna dig in and enjoy this stuff there's a lot of whimsical stuff there's a lot of really deep stuff but it's all evocative and it's all really great you really get an appreciation of each and every one of the members of the group Brian Dennis Carl Mike Al Bruce it's really quite something It's and it's worth every moment so go over to esquarterly.com be sure to check out the brand new review that just popped up um, and uh, that's there plus also available right now is the summer 2021 edition of the magazine which focuses on the 50th anniversary of the surf's up album includes interviews with brian mike Al, and bruce and if you're not familiar with the surf's up or sunflower album and you want to have like companion pieces, like uh, magazines, to kind of go along with it, then I highly recommend you go back to the summer 2020 edition of ESQ, which focuses on the 50th anniversary of the Sunflower album. So you can get the two summer editions, uh, consecutive years, summer 2020, dedicated to the Sunflower edition, to the Sunflower album 50th anniversary, and then this year's summer edition, summer 2021, dedicated to the 50th anniversary of the Surf's Up album. Those two magazines both have interviews with Brian, Mike, Al, and Bruce and I think they really lend themselves to understanding what was going on at the time in the group's career and uh, actually the the new Surf's Up edition also gets into the Radiant Radish which was a health food store that Brian co-owned. That in and of itself is a really intriguing history. So Um, please pre-order if you haven't pre-ordered yet just pre-order any of them whether you like a vinyl or you 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 can just get the two CD set or whatever it is go for it it's this is really fantastic fantastic music and it's been beautifully put together and produced by Alan of course Alan Boyd and Mark Lynette and Hallie Edelson provides great liner notes it's really um, just an incredible set uh, so two and a half years in the making, you know, it just but it's I think it's well worth the wait. And I and I hope everyone enjoys it as much as I do. We have an upcoming promotion. There's two that ESQ is gonna be involved in. First and foremost, we're gonna be doing an ESQ giveaway on our site where I'm gonna be posting kind of a question about the Sunflower album and the Surfs Up album and, and what you like about them. It's really gonna be that simple, but the the answers, the submissions are gonna be judged by. The collect the flows collections producers Alan Boyd and Mark Lynette. They're going to be the judges. They're going to choose the the best answers for this stuff. So you're going to this kind of uh, is like a um, prep. It's just not your standard giveaway. It's like I love the Beach Boys. (laughs) Probably great answer, but probably not going to cut it to get like a a five CD box set. But we're we're gonna that's going to be coming up towards uh, towards the release date here in August and uh, also the second thing that we're going to be doing on Beach Boys Talk. If you head over to Beach Boys Talk every Tuesday night at eight o'clock Eastern, Greg and Matt Coffey have a live streaming show that's on Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. And it's they have guests on typically every week when, not, when they don't have guests on, they just do a wonderful thing. Greg's kind of, uh, he's a musician, so he he can kind of dial in and take requests and just about play anything under the Beach Boys catalog, and that's pretty impressive in and of itself. And they just love to have a good time. They're a couple of fans just like you and I. And uh, they're brothers, and they just do a wonderful job. And I, I strongly suggest you, you tune in over there to Beach Boys Talk every Tuesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, at Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube live and also so there's gonna be kind of a tie-in here if you're following this the endless summer endless harmony (laughs) message board on August 17th Tuesday August 17th Mark Lynette will be on the Beach Boys talk show afterwards he's going over to the endless harmony message boards to answer further questions of fans about the box set and and all the material coming out on these different variations and he'll be joined on the Endless Harmony message board by Alan Boyd. Now, the following week, Tuesday, August 24th, on Beach Boys Talk, Alan Boyd will be appearing, and he will be joined post-show over on the Endless Harmony message board by Mark Lynette. Now, each show, each post-afterward show where they go over to the message board, they're only going to be there for 30 minutes. So it's kind of a... Get in there, get your questions in, and and I know that Mark and and Alan will do their best to answer any questions you have. Now, if it's manufacturing, I just found out today that for some reason, Amazon uh, in the UK has canceled five discs orders. I don't know what's the story behind that. Mark and Alan would not know the story behind that. So I strongly recommend just keeping your questions focused on the material and what what they enjoyed about putting the set together and, and what and what we can expect. I've been listening to this box set for two months and I absolutely adore it and love it. Thanks for tuning in. Another episode's right around the corner. And I thought I'd leave you with this. This is the California music version of Add Some Music To Your Day that I had a great honor and privilege of putting together with Mike Love, Al Jardine, Bruce Johnston, Matt Jardine, um, Carney and Wendy Wilson, Christian Love, Amba Love, Haley Love, uh, Jeffrey Foskett, David Marks, uh, Justin Wilson, Rob Bonfilio, Lola Bonfilio, who is Robin Carney's daughter. Great voice. And um, I think that's everybody. I really hope I'm not forgetting someone. Uh, there's, it was great. And it's all for the benefit of Feeding America. So I hope you enjoy this. Enjoy your day. Enjoy August. Enjoy the rest of your summer. And I really hope you enjoy Feel Flows*, The Sunflower and Surf Sessions, 1969 to 1971, set for release on Friday, August 27th. See you next time.